Thanks for tuning into the ES First podcast. We'd love to connect with you on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. So take a minute to hop on over and give us a like or a follow. And of course, if you're ever in Excelsior Springs, stop on by. We can't wait to welcome you home. Today, we're wrapping up the book of James. James is what I call the self-help book of the Bible. If you want to know how to make your life better, hopefully you've figured out some tools and some resources for practical relationship with God and practical Christian living in the book of James. Anybody got at least one thing out of the book of James so far? Say amen. Okay. And uh, today he's going to wrap it up, and he is going to talk a little bit about uh, the mystery of prayer. Prayer is... um, Prayer is an interesting thing because people all over the world pray. Even atheists pray. Did you know this? Atheists pray. Um, Have you ever, like, uh, been with somebody who doesn't believe in God, and then they start saying, like, please let, and then they fill in. Like, like they got a cop behind them. Please don't let them pull. Please don't let me pull. Please don't let them pull me over. Please don't let them pull me over. Who, Who are they talking to? They don't know. But they're talking to God, all right? You, uh, you, you be maybe just praying for stupid stuff, like, uh, please don't let me burn these cookies. Please don't let me burn these cookies. And then you burn the cookies. Uh, and you're like, thanks, God. And you, you have this interaction. The mystery of prayer is an interesting thing, but prayer is really just communication with God. It is the way that God has designed us to, um, to be with him. As a matter of fact, when we go back to the original intent of humanity, uh, we see that God uh, makes Adam and Eve, and he, um, he makes Adam in his own image, the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in one, in one person. He says, let us make man in our image, and he crafts him, and then he breathes into him the life of himself. Why would he do such a thing? Except for that, he wanted to have that kind of connection. He needs to... He, he wanted the, uh, the thing that, was, that he was to be in the people he created so that they could connect. And then the Bible says that he would come down in the cool of the day. Um, I don't know if it's just like you know, every day they had a meeting with God or what that exactly means. But I know that this is true, that God would come down and he would talk with Adam and Eve and he would have communication with them. And prayer is just communication. As a matter of fact, another word for communication is communion. And churches all over the world today are taking communion. They're eating the body and blood of Christ in cracker and grape juice. Some of them have a little, some little more stout than grape juice, you know what I mean? And uh, hallelujah. And uh, thank God we don't do that because I know how some of you get when you have a little, uh, you know, blood in you, you know what I mean? Um, you know them. Um, so we just do grape juice here, but that that is a sick. Uh, uh, um, it's a it's imagery. It's a symbol of the the connection, the communion that we have with God. That God wants to talk with us. It's, it's us remembering and having this dialogue, this communication. That He's not a God that's far off. He's not just some kind of figure that we just worship and and talk about some historical person. But He's alive and well and interacting with us. So it's no wonder that in the beginning, Adam and Eve got to talk with God every single day and communicate with them. And through sin, that communication was broken. Now, when Jesus comes back, he dies so that he can actually restore communication. People think that it's, it's so that we can be forgiven of sins. And we are forgiven of sins, but it's not that. It's actually so that we can restore connection. Think about this. 
This is so deep and is so special that you need to understand that God is removing the mystery from prayer. He's removing the mysticism, the smoke, the clouds, the wall, all that stuff. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, and the Bible says that there's a curtain in the temple, and uh, my, my mother would say it was rent to and fro from top to bottom, and I don't know what the heck that means, but I know that it was torn, okay? So rent to and fro and whatever that means, um, I'm not sure, but it was broken. And what the, the deal was, this curtain separated the place where God was and the place where humans were. And so when Jesus died, the curtain was torn, and so that God could then be unleashed and that we would have access to this space. If you understand, not that God that was, was in this one little place, but symbolically, it was, it was we want God in this box, and we want us out here, and if we do all these things perfectly, then we can communicate with God. And God's like, no, no, no. What I had in mind was this Adam and Eve, cool of the day, let's walk together, let's talk together, let's be together, let's commune. And so it's no wonder that Jesus sat down with his 12 disciples at a table before he dies and says, here, this is what I want you to do. When you guys get together, I want you to eat this bread and drink this grape juice. Eat this bread and drink this cup every time you're together, hanging out together, doing your thing. Why? Because it's a a reminder that I have provided for you and us a way to commune, communicate, to talk and remember each other. You have these kind of devices all over your life, you have things for your dead ancestors, your loved ones. You have things for your children. I remember my, my brother Dave always had, um, he, he, was, he, was, uh, he loved me a lot. I'm, I'm the brother that everyone loves in the family. Um, I'm right in the middle. Uh, bless God. Uh, but my, I remember my, hanging on my brother Dave, and he traveled the world, and he opened up his wallet, and he had a picture of me from like eighth, like eighth grade in his wallet. He's like, there you are. And I was like, wow, my brother has the, remember those that had just just like picture in your wallet? That was before cell phones, you know, you didn't scroll through your albums, you just had this one picture. And we have these mementos, these things that we put in places so that we can remember people. And oftentimes we're more connected to people and places and memories than we are to God. And this is why God comes in, he says, I want you to remember me through the body and the blood of Christ, this bread and this grape juice. Every time you do this, you're remembering me. You're showing that you're faithful to me. And then he dies on the cross and he like ups the ante. Because then the Holy Spirit is, is released to all humanity. The places where God is kept in this space and we're kept in this space is now gone and, and we're all together. And he restores back to the idea that he had in the garden, even though it was perfect then, and the world is pretty broken still, we have this perfection inside of us that is communion, communication with God. But still, believers all over the world are confused in living in the mystery of prayer. Mystery of prayer. As a matter of fact, we oftentimes take prayer and make it into superstition. Now, maybe not you. Maybe you don't read your horoscope. Maybe you don't live in the black cats and ladders. If there's a ladder, I walk under it. Anybody else like that? Like, check me out. If there's a black cat, I'm like, thank God for the black cat. If there's a 13, I put it on my chest. I'm going to get it tattooed right here. 
I'm like anti-superstition. I just want to like, you know, stick it to the man when it comes to superstition. But unfortunately, in church, a lot of people have sided with superstition and they call it religion. It's not what God had in mind. As a matter of fact, for 2,000 years before Jesus, they were concerned with superstition. It was actually rules and laws that God had given them as ways to connect them. And Jesus said, I fulfilled all that so that now we can be connected. We can live in communion. You don't have to have this mystery surrounding prayer. Most of us wouldn't even have an idea how to pray to God in the Old Testament. We walk in to the temple and be like, I don't know, do I go over here and wash my hands? Do I go over here and make a burnt offering? Do I go over here and buy a pigeon? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to see a priest? Am I supposed to be sprinkled? What's going on? We don't even have an idea because it was so kind of superstitious with these rules and laws. And so God goes, I don't want superstitions. I want connections. But still, Christianity is so bent on having some sort of system that will forego real communion connection and communication with God just to live in our comfort, not knowing that God all the time wants to commune and connect with us. Anybody else in here uh, ever had a relationship with somebody and it went amazing, you had amazing communication? I, I believe it. Okay, anybody else in here had a, a relationship with somebody? It doesn't have to be like, you know, Romantic, it can be like your boss, or whatever, and you had terrible communication. Has anybody had a uh, relationship where the person believed that if they said nothing to you and you said nothing to them, you would get along just fine? Right? And that's most people's prayer life is it's like, well, God's out there, He cares for me, He'll take care of it. God's looking out for us. I mean, I'm sure God will do whatever God does. And then it, sometimes it gets so bad that we resort to a place of communication because now it's gotten so terrible, like that one person that you were with, you know what I'm talking about. They only, it's like, they call you up like, hey, listen, we, we, we got to talk. We need to talk. It's like, no, you need to talk. I don't need to talk. You know that person? I dated her when I was 19 years old. She always needed to talk. And that's the way we are with God. It's like, God, we need to talk. God, we need to talk. He's like, well, um, hold up. Hold up. You want to walk through this, this superstition of prayer. You want to find somebody to pray with. You want to, you know, put it out on a, and I'm, I'm not against, like, prayer requests and prayer groups and all that stuff. But, like, some people are so bent on a prayer group, they have no communication with God. The only way they have connection is a we-need-to-talk moment. Come on, things have gotten so bad that we need to have a moment and get things right so we can go back to normal. Well, you do your thing, and I do my thing, and then we're all on the perfect up and up, and everything is going the way it's supposed to. We don't have connection. We just have even keel. And so James is going to tell us that prayer, prayer is actually communication and it's essential and we can take away the mystery if we understand what prayer is in the Bible. Prayer is not something mystic, mythic, superstition. It is real and it is for you and I. Are you ready to read the Bible? Okay, James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 13. Is anyone 
among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil. In the name of the Lord, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power that's in your word. We believe that you are working in us, through us, and around us, that everything we do is in you, that is through you, and it is ultimately for you. Let us be the kind of people who live a life full of the majesty and glory of God. Lord, today as we look into the mystery of prayer, I pray that you'd call us higher, that you'd remove scales from our eyes, blinders, things that have been blocking us from the kind of relationship that you want to have with us. In Jesus' name, amen. So James gives us these, like, is anybody happy? You should sing songs of praise. Anybody, he goes, is anybody sick? You should call for the elders of the church. And this is kind of the the formula. He says, you should call for people in the church. And it doesn't have to be somebody who's older, elder. It can be some, it's somebody who's established in the faith, right? It's somebody who is, who knows God and you know that they know God and they are able to connect with God with you, not necessarily for you, even though they pray for you. Call for the elders of the church and anoint you with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. So starting with prayer of connection is that we get to connect with God, and we can know God in such a way that we can become elders. Think about this. Somebody who's committed to knowing God. And so when we are committed to knowing God, the Bible says that they are the kind of people that you want to pray for you. They are the kind of people that can connect with God. As a matter of fact, you get those people together and pray for you, their prayer can make you well. Can anybody's prayer make you well? Yes. But for some reason, he's pointing out the elders, people who are serious about connecting with God. As a matter of fact, many people are often throwing out prayer requests to a world who doesn't give a rip about God any other day of the week. You can either say amen or owe me to that. It doesn't matter. I understand it's a little painful. Some, then here, here's, here's the crux of the other side of it, is that people are so hungry to have God answer their prayer, just somebody to pray for them, they'll settle for the prayers of anyone. Am I right? Have you ever known that you needed prayer and then settled for good advice? Have you ever known that you needed to connect with God and you settled for a good session of Oprah? Lord bless Oprah. I love Oprah. The connection with God is so important that it is people who connect with God that can make a difference in your life. He says, you come forward. Not necessarily forward, it's forward here. He says, you call for the elders of the church. 
that they would pray for you. They would anoint you with oil. Now, what is, what's the deal with oil? That's a really Old Testament thing, and for some reason, uh, they were still doing it in the New Testament. Uh, we still do it here. I have... I, actually bought some oil from Israel, and as magical and mysterious as that seems, it's pretty cool, <laughs> right? And I'm pretty proud of this thing I bought. And so, but here's the problem. The oil's eventually going to run out, and then we just have to go down to, to Price Chopper and get some, you know, olive oil and put it back in my little thing I got in Israel, you know, it's like, but it's really cool looking. Um, so right now, it's like super holy, but later on, it's just going to be regular oil. So if you want me to pray for you, get on, on the early side of it before I get rid of all this. That's the superstition. The oil is only representation of what God is in your life. The thing I love about oil is that oil doesn't go away easily. You know what I'm talking about? Oil is something that's it's there. Like if you've ever had somebody put oil, like when I was a kid, uh, you know, I had these blessed evangelists with big hair and flashy suit put oil on my head, and you know, and then I was like, man, I feel like it's just running down in my eyes. You know, I feel like. Just all over my face right now. And all I could think about was the oil. All I could think about was the oil, the oil, the oil. And then I go back and I sit down after it prayed for me. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, I got oil on everything. It's on my hands and whatever. The beautiful thing about oil is it doesn't go away easily. Have you ever prayed and then forgotten about the prayer just, you know, five, ten minutes, hour later, the next day? There's something amazing about oil. It's like a, it's a representation that God's spirit doesn't go away easily. It's something that when God marks you, it's like, ah, this is something special. And you get oil on your hands, and, and all of a sudden your, your skin feels softer. If you put it on one hand and not the other hand, then you're like, this hand is so magical. It's so good. And this hand is so dry and ashy. Like, you just know when you have oil on you. It's different. And I believe that that's kind of what God wanted to do with this oil. He wanted, he wanted to represent that his presence his spirit doesn't go away easily. It's something that's near you and close to you. And it's, it should be a reminder, like, man, I, what was on my skin? That's the way it should be. I believe that's one reason that when David was in the field and he was anointed by Samuel to be king, he goes out and they, they just pour oil on David. And I think that David, for just probably the next week, was just thinking about oil. I and mean, they didn't shower every day, probably. I don't know how they, they were clean or he was just out in the field. And he was just thinking about the oil that was on his skin constantly. And I think he remembered that later on when he was fighting Goliath. And he said, you know, I'm anointed for this. When he, was, when he was killing people uh, as, as a mercenary and protecting Israel and protecting other nations, that he, uh, he was thinking about the anointing of God that was on his life. And as he was king and he was doing great and mighty things, I think he was thinking about the oil that didn't go away so easily. He remembers those moments. And I think that as we lay hands on people and put oil on them or something, you remember a time when people put their hands on you and they prayed for you and they, they put oil on you and these moments that God's presence was there and it was amazing and it was powerful and it was brilliant and you go wow I remember those moments with God so we lay hands and we and we we anoint with oil not because the oil is so magical but because of what it represents and then he says in the prayer of faith will make the sick person well the prayer of faith will make the sick person well and this is where we start to check out because have you ever prayed for somebody that didn't get well I have. It's probably the one thing I struggle with the most. 
It's like I struggle with, uh, uh, you know, deciphering the Bible a lot, but it's like, it's like, okay, God, like, I see that you want to heal. And then I pray for people, and I see, I've seen amazing miracles of, of healing and, and signs and wonders, and people come to me and say, would you pray for me? Because I know that, like, when you pray, it's, it's something happens, and, and people all over the planet message me and call me to pray for them. And, and sometimes I see miraculous healing signs and wonders, and sometimes I don't. And it's crazy. And I go back to this verse. I'm like, God, what do I do in these moments? Because, because like you said that the prayer of faith would make the sick person well. And I prayed for this person and they lived. And I prayed for this person and they died. I prayed for this person and pain went away like that. And I prayed for this person and they died of cancer. I prayed for this person and their marriage was restored. And I prayed for this person and they were completely obliterated. God, what is it about this prayer that I'm missing. You're, you're hoping I have a good answer for that, aren't you? Like, I hope he just writes that out and, and write a book on that and tell everybody what is the secret to answer prayer. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know this. God says, if you do this, the prayer of faith will make them well. And so in those moments, I have to either go, you know what? It didn't work that one time. So I'm not going to do it again. Or I can go, the Bible says to do it, and so whether it happens the way I thought it should or not, I'll do it again. That's all I got. And one of my favorite pastors, um, Pastor Bill, uh, says, every time I have an answered prayer, I rejoice, and every time I have unanswered prayer, I go back and I say, God, what needs to change in my focus in you, my direction in you? How can, I, how can I move into a place where I have more answered prayer? And I can't like live in regret. I can't say, well, you know, I didn't do it right, or I should have said these words, or I should have been more anointed or whatever. But how can I grow to the place where I'm so connected in you that my prayer of faith would see more answered prayers? And that's where I want to be. I want to be the person that's like that elder, that connected to God, who that when he prays, miracles happen. That's what I want. I hope that that's what you want for your life. I hope that you're not just existing. I hope that you're not just moving to a place of superstition. Let's just throw some prayers up against the ceiling. Let's just do something kind of magical, and hopefully maybe God will do it. I don't know. Who knows what God will do? Who knows what God wants to do? I mean, if it's his will, I mean, come on. Last time, I haven't, had, haven't seen many prayers answered, and last time it didn't work. And, and, and this time, I've seen this person die and that person die and become people who do not believe the word of God that simply says, pray, call for the elders of the church, anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will make the sick person well. That's what we want to have happen that's what I want to happen. Hopefully, my prayer is that you want that to happen in your life too. Jesus talks about this in, uh, in the book of Matthew. Um, he's actually coming into Jerusalem. He just had the Hosanna thing and the palm branches. And blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
And he goes into the temple and he sees people actually selling sacrifices. And a lot of people get this kind of twisted because they think, you know, it had to do with people selling, but people were always selling all around Jerusalem. But the, the issue was that they were selling sacrifices to get close to God. Now imagine this, like you go to the Chiefs game. You know that a bottle of water costs less than a dollar, right? You know that a fountain soda costs less than a dollar. You go to the Chiefs game. You're not allowed to bring anything else in because it's not Chiefs stuff. And you go there and you think, man, I haven't had a soda in three years, Caleb Ramazan. Be like, but right now a soda sounds so good. And so you go to the snack shack. You didn't even want a soda, but you're at the game and you think, I have money in my pocket and it is burning a hole. And you think, hey, give me a Sprite so I can enjoy this game at a higher level. Hallelujah. And they say, that'll be $24.96. And you're like, for a soda? Because they know they have you pinned in. They know that you need it, want it, and they are the people who have it. So Jesus is here. He's in the temple and we see the money changers. First of all, they're taking money from all over different nations. It wasn't like you had a unified money system. You had this town had one money system. This town had one, one money system. And they would come in and they would change your money. Okay? And they would tax you. They would charge fees. They would sometimes just take more than they would count out. And If you were just from a different place and you didn't know how the money worked, which a lot of people didn't, they would they would you know, take advantage of that. And they would change your money, take your money, and then they would, they would sell you a sacrifice. Oh, you, you drove a long way. My guess is that you weren't able to bring your own lamb. My, my guess is that you didn't have time to get your own sacrifice and bring it here. It's a long trip. Probably you would have damaged the sacrifice. Something would have happened. You would come here, and now you're in the city, and we don't have a place for you to slaughter your lamb. We don't have a place for you to do everything the way you're supposed to. And so then what happens is they go, I'll tell you what, we'll sell you a sacrifice. You don't even have to bring it. You can just come, and we'll change your money out, and we'll sell you a sacrifice, and then you'll be connected with God. You'll be connected with God for the whole entire year. Your sins will be covered. And I'll tell you what, we got this great little pigeon right here. This pigeon is amazing. It has no flaws and defects. Well, maybe there's this one defect right here. I know the law says that you're not supposed to have any defects, but there's maybe some things on it. But you know what? It'll be good enough for God. This is what's going on. And so they sell Joshmo, a pigeon for his family, overpriced, $24 soda, you get the picture because there's no other place to do it. And then he goes in and he sacrifices and God is not pleased because it's not what he asked for. Jesus comes in and he starts flipping tables. Flipping tables, releasing pigeons. I think <laughs> stuff's going everywhere. He's got a whip, the Bible says. I love this part of Jesus. He's got a, he's got a whip and he starts whoosh. And you know what he says? He doesn't say, you're ripping these people off. He doesn't say, this is not what God wants. You're pissing him off. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer. That's what he says. My house will be a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. 
In other words, you're selling a quick, superstitious way to get to God, and all God wants to do is be in communion with his people. That's his number one desire, is to communicate and be connected with you. And this is the first thing that happens when he comes into Jerusalem. And the next thing happens, he's walking away. And, and uh, we'll go to verse 18, Jade. Matthew, sorry, 21. Early in the morning, as Jesus was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said, may you never bear fruit again. He curses the tree. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. And Jesus replied, Because I'm the Son of God and you guys are losers. No. He says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but also you can say to this mountain, Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done for you. If you believe you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Now, this seems like a televangelist message, but it's not. It's Jesus, who just spent a lot of his energy in this big dramatic moment to let everybody know that God's house is supposed to be a house of prayer. For what? For answered prayer. Not just a cute little thing where you're like, hey, I went and I did my thing, you know, peace up to God. I want to score a touchdown this week. That'd be great. Oh, man, I got my tax money back. Oh, it's been a great, I didn't get COVID. Yes, Jesus, thank you. No, house is a house of prayer because God wants to answer your prayer. He wants to commune with you. He wants to be connected with you. How do I know it? He put his son on it. Jesus praying in the garden. It says, if there's any other way that this could happen, let's do that. And God goes, there's no other way. I gotta be connected to my people. I gotta be connected to my people. I gotta be connected to my people. And Jesus knew that his house was supposed to be a house of prayer. So here he is, this fig tree. He curses it. Why does he curse it? It wasn't bearing fruit. That's a whole other sermon in itself. He curses it, and everybody's amazed, and Jesus is like, don't be amazed. I've seen some pretty cool miracles. So it's amazing to happen. Amazing things happen. And some people know about them, some people don't. You know, different groups know about different stuff, like this group knew this, and that group knew that, you know, whatever. But it's amazing when something happens, somebody goes, dude, tell me, tell me about that, that thing. Tell me about that thing. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. Or sometimes somebody will just like tell a story. And I'll go, let me tell you about a miracle that I saw. Right? God wants us to experience these moments where they are a testimony to his goodness to others. I want to answer prayers in your life, and it is a testimony to God being connected to you in your moment, in your weakness, in your tragedy. Not just for you to feel better, 
but for God to get glory in your life. And Jesus says, look, he's like, don't be so excited about this fig tree thing. As a matter of fact, you can do the same thing. Have faith and do not doubt. And I've talked about this faith and doubt thing a lot. As a matter of fact, I've talked about it in James. Because it's so important that for some reason, we as believers get so wrapped up in getting our faith up and not doubting. And the problem is everyone doubts. Raise your hand if if you doubt. Raise your other hand if you have faith. Everybody's got both, right? And so then we're just like, well, maybe, maybe I doubt, maybe I have faith. And you call your best friend, like, I need to have more faith. So I'm going to call him. You know what? God's going to do it. I just know he's going to do it. That's what God does. He's amazing. And then you go home and you lay in bed at night. You're like, what if God doesn't do it? And you start going through all of these moments and things where God didn't do it. You start going through all of these doubts and you let the enemy entertain your mind. And, and so we just live in this faith, doubt, faith, doubt, faith, doubt. And God goes, no, no, no. He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about you just believing here and doubting here, believing here and doubting here. What I'm talking to you is about the faith in Jesus that comes from an established relationship. Hmm. You can date somebody and believe they're the most amazing person in the world. Right? You can have faith that they're going to be a good person. Down the road, you can find out that even though you knew them then, there's somebody else today. And they create doubt. And then you realize that you can't count on them for anything. Are you familiar with this relationship? God is not that way. He says, as you get to know me, you'll understand that I'm faithful. You understand? It's something you can't figure out in a day. It's something you can't figure out in a month. You can compound it, and it can grow greater and greater by the Holy Spirit coupled with his word and experience. But you have to interact with it Again and again. It is the communion that God wants. The disciples spent three years with Jesus. Three years with Jesus, and they're baffled at this tree. Dude, the tree died, just like you said. And I want to say, I, I just want to imagine Jesus is like, where have you been for the past two years? This is what you're excited about? This one thing? It's like, yeah, I just thought you wanted to heal leprosy and raise people from the dead. Did you you can curse trees too? Yeah, and so can you. Jesus sends out 12 disciples to do the exact same thing, and they come back, and they go, hey, uh, it's amazing when we prayed in your name, when we used your name, like we used our credentials that were with Jesus, all of a sudden things happened, and Jesus is like, yeah, duh. And then at the end of three years, he's hanging out with them, and they're like saying, I was like, how long do I have to put up with you, Jesus says. Like, like they're asking questions. He's like, have you not been around for three years? Three years is a mighty long time, amen? And still, they're having these moments where they're like, faith, doubt, faith, doubt, faith, doubt. After Jesus goes, after Jesus goes to heaven, all of a sudden, with the Holy Spirit, they do amazing things. And they do amazing things because 
now their relationship with Jesus has grown because it had to. It had to. They had to go deeper. Jesus wasn't there just having coffee with them in the morning around the fire days. They weren't just walking from place to place letting Jesus do everything. All of a sudden they had to go, you know what? Remember what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said. And this is the difference between doubt and faith. It's people that know their God. People that know their Savior. And you've got to be these kind of people. When James says call for the elders of the church, he's talking about these people who have made a commitment to knowing God well and growing in faith. And he says, look, if you have faith and don't doubt, then you can ask for whatever you want. If you lay hands on people, anoint them with oil, the prayer of faith will make them well. What's the prayer of faith? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. No, it's that I know God and this is what he does. How do you know that about God? I just know him. It hasn't been like a, he's failed me, he changed his mind, he turned around. The Bible says over and over again, there's no forsaking you. There's no shadow of turning, that he is good, that he is faithful. And so what I want to do is I want to tap into that faithfulness every single day, every single night. I want to be that person. Do you want to be that person? That's what it takes to see answered prayer and grow your lives. No, you can pray, and God says that he'll work in your life. But I believe there's an amplification in people who know their God. It's like everybody's existing, and the sun shines on everybody. And for some reason, when people begin to know their God in a greater way, it's like God takes a magnifying glass and just puts it on you. For some reason, you start to get hot. What's going on? This person who knows me. All of a sudden they're on fire. Because of the magnification of people who are willing to get to know their God. And this is the story he wraps up with in James. He goes, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Stop right there. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. I mean, Jesus is one thing. He can speak to fig trees and, you know, the faith of God. I mean, Jesus, and it's pretty amazing stuff. But Elijah was a human being just like you and me. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Now, this is where it messes me up. Because I've heard about Elijah all my life. He's actually one of my favorite Bible characters. Elijah's pretty amazing. As a matter of fact, when I was in Florida this year, God spoke to me through the story of Elijah. And every time I read this particular passage, this is a New Testament commentary on what happened thousands of years before. And he's like, Elijah was just regular like you and me, but he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it did not rain. Seems pretty cut and dry. Except for Elijah was a prophet. Which means that Elijah spoke for God. In other words, God would say, hey, it's not going to rain. Tell the people. And he would go, hey, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. God said it. 
It seems to me that God does all of these miracles through his prophets. Like Moses goes, hey, let my people go. And then all of a sudden the blood turns, you know, the, the river turns to blood and then flies and, 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 and frogs and all of this stuff. It's like, it's like God just does what he does and he announces through the prophets. But here in James gives us insight into what it's like to partner with God. God wants to do things. God desires to do things. And he goes, look, I'm not happy with the way things are going. I'm going to have to do something about King Ahab. And he goes, hey, I want you to tell Ahab that it's not going to rain for three and a half years. You can look it up in 1 Kings. And so Elijah says, he goes, it's not going to rain. And Elijah tells him, until I say so. Why did he tell him that? Because he was torqued off at Ahab? No, the only reason is because that's what God wanted to do and he speaks for God. And then James, and this messes me up because it doesn't tell us this part of the story in 1 Kings. Elijah prayed. For what? For God's will to be done. For the thing that God wanted to do to be done. For God's desires to happen. God, why do you need Elijah to pray? Can't you just do it? I mean, that's the way you do it. God does whatever he does, right? Especially in the Old Testament. We see God just wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah. All these amazing things. But for some reason, God asks people to join him. And it wasn't like, you know, it was like, you know, the genie in Aladdin. Where it's like, hey, if you make the wish, then I can do it. I can't do it. I can't do anything until you make the wish. Come on, make the wish, kid. Make the wish. Come on. Elijah prayed earnestly. And then, after it hasn't rained for three and a half years, the Bible says that Elijah goes out and he hides his head between his knees. And he's sitting there and he's praying for rain again and again and again and again and again. And then he asks his, his servant, he's like, go and check and tell me if it's raining. And the, 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 um, the servant goes out and he looks and he's like, no, I don't see any rain. And if you've ever been to Israel, it doesn't rain very often. It doesn't rain pretty much never. So they know what rain clouds look like, and the servant goes, it takes them like seven times. And it says each time that Elijah put his head between his knees and prayed earnestly, and it wasn't something like, God, make it rain, please, in Jesus' name. Go check it. Hey, Jesus, could you just go? Could you just go? Please, 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 and make it rain. God, if you could do anything, would you just come and make it rain? God, would you just make it rain? It wasn't like that. I think he was praying at a different level, and I don't know what that's like. I don't know what it's, I don't, I don't know what he said. I, I don't know what he, I don't know how he prayed, but I know that he was so connected with God that when he prayed and prayed earnestly, something happened. So finally, the servant goes out.
Maybe. Maybe this ring. Ah, should I say anything? I don't, hey, Elijah, Elijah, hey. I know, I know you're praying hard. <laughs> There's something. I don't know if it qualifies, but something out there. You th- just, just come look. And Elijah goes, yeah. Someone goes, yeah, it's just it's like the size of your hand. Yeah. And he goes, go and tell Ahab it's going to rain. Go and tell Ahab it's going to rain. Go, go. As a matter of fact, he, sees, he says, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. From one little thing, because he was so connected to the nature of God, that when he saw one little glimmer of hope, when he saw one little bit of God moving, he said, yeah, I know it's going to pour. I know it's been dead and dry for three and a half years, but something inside of me says God is going to do it. James says, Elijah was just a man like you. He prayed earnestly for three and a half years. He prayed earnestly and for three and a half years it didn't rain. And then it says that he prayed earnestly. Again, heavens gave rain and the earth produced his crops. He wraps this in this. He says, if any of you is sick, call for the elders. Let me tell you about Elijah. If you got problems, you got issues, you got things, call for the elders of the church. Pray. People that know their God. And when they pray, you'll be well. Tucked in the middle of these two verses is one of my favorite verses in the whole entire Bible. It says, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. I sat right up there in that area. It's now my office, actually, but it was a Sunday school classroom in 1995. And my Sunday school teacher wrote down this verse, and I'd heard it a billion times, but for some reason, he broke down every word. It says, what does effective mean? And it means that it works. Works. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful, effective. And me and my little teenager mind was like, well, I'm not, I'm not righteous. And you and your whatever, how old you are, you look back at your life and you go, I'm not righteous. I need to find a righteous person. So you go and you find Avery. Like, Avery, could you pray for me? Because your prayers have got to work. I'm going to let you know right now, Avery's not that righteous, okay? The Bible says that there's therefore now no condemnation for those of us in Jesus. Every time you condemn yourself to be unrighteous, 
is a lie from the enemy because you are in Jesus. How are you made righteous? Believing in Jesus. In other words, every time that you pray, your prayers are powerful and effective because you are righteous in Jesus. If it wasn't righteousness by Jesus, then Jesus didn't have to die. That's a big hoax. But he did die. Why? So that you could have answered prayer. Just like Adam and Eve. Just like disciples communing around a table with the creator of all things having grape juice and bread. Just like the veil, the curtain, torn in two so that God could be ushered into your situation and that you could be ushered into God's presence every single day. That's what he desires. And I gotta just tell you today that God desires to answer your prayers. Just like he desired to make it rain, to make it stop raining, but he was looking for somebody just like you and me, just an Elijah, who would say, I'll pray earnestly. I'll pray earnestly. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Would you be a person who prayed? Jesus was sick of the games trying to get to God, and so he threw over tables and whipped people. He said, my house is supposed to be a house of prayer. He told people after a simple fig tree dried up, look, anything you ask for, if you believe, if you have faith in me, if you are connected to me, trust me. Anything can be done. And there's things in your life that you've given up on. I know there's things in my life that I've given up on. But you know what I really gave up on? was not the hope, not the dream, not the future. I gave up on my relationship to God. Not that I was going to hell. It's just that God was sitting at a table with a wine and bread saying, come on, bud. I want to talk to you about some stuff. I want to bring you to a place. And I walk past the table day and night. I walk past the table day and night saying, God, why don't you do something? God, why don't you do anything? God, why can't you? Why won't you? He said, no, 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 no. I just want you to pray, communicate with me. It's not a superstition. It's just this relationship. I want it for you. Because your prayers are powerful and effective, Brandon. And your prayers are powerful and effective, Amy. Your prayers are powerful and effective, Sonia. Your prayers are powerful and effective, Dustin. Your prayers are powerful and effective. I just need you to believe in me that I make you righteous for this purpose to connect with you.
Father, make us people of prayer. People who are connected to you, people who know you. Give us a burning desire to live and walk in prayer. If we don't see answers, cause us to turn back and sit with you and to look for answers. The Bible says that the secret things of our life belong to you, but they're revealed to us when we know you. Father, we've been sitting around talking about, talking about why, 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 why. And you're just saying, stop that, stop that, stop that. Just connect with me, just connect with me, just connect with me, just commune with me. I paid a high price for that connection. take a moment, just pray, God, why don't you start out with just hello, good morning, good morning, God, good morning, Jesus, and just listen to the song of your heart as he speaks. right now, just where you are. Father, I love you. I'm looking forward to Christmas this year. Jesus, thank you blessings of my life. Thank you. Sometimes I thought I wasn't going to make it. Thank you. places that I'm broken. I know I've been acting like I got it, but I just need you, Jesus. And that was not what you want from me.
thank you for making things so beautiful. It's like the seasons in the springtime, the summer. I feel your warmth in the winter. I feel your beauty all around me. I feel the joy of heaven. I love those songs. They play at restaurants that talk about you. It seems like the world's forgotten for some reason. They keep saying your name in every song I hear. The thrill of hope. The weary world rejoices. Christ is the Lord. Praise his name forever. I love you, Jesus. I have faith in you and what you're doing. get answered because the prayer of a righteous person that's me, that's us powerful it's effective it works call us to be a people of prayer in Jesus name we love you Jesus amen give God a big praise today